0: Next up, we're going to have Mayor Barbara Blaine Bellamy of Conway. Our first vice president sir, has served as the chair of this year's legislative committee. Mayor Blaine Bellamy, will, will you join me to give a report from the legislative committee, please? Absolutely. Uh, there she is. After her report, our legislative team will give us an update on action happening today at the State House an action we need to take. So at this time, please help me welcome Triple B, as we call her. Barbara.
1: Thank you so much, Rick. I've tried to say good morning to everybody. If I haven't, good morning. morning. And thank you, Rick. Each year, the association's legislative committee plays an important role in the development of the annual advocacy initiatives for our cities and towns. The committee is made up of a cross-section of mayors, council members, and staff from municipalities of all sizes and all parts of the state. If you served on this year's legislative committee, will you please stand? Somebody did. Thank you so much for your time and your commitment to this important process. The association develops its advocacy initiatives based on input gathered from local officials during the association's 10 regional advocacy meetings. Based on your suggestions, the association's staff develops recommendations for legislative committee's consideration about actions that can help cities and towns the most. Because this is the first year of a two-year session, the legislative committee recommended to the association's board That we adopt initiatives to work on for the entire two-year session. Some of these issues move faster than others and in some instances our association staff has to judge the best time to move forward with a new bill. Also keep in mind that these initiatives are not the only things our team is working on this session. In our online legislative tracking system right now we're following more than 160 bills That could have an impact on your city or town. That number increases every day with new bill introductions. To break down the major issues that we are following and working on, please welcome one of the best staff members of the Municipal Association, Casey, our manager for (laughs) municipal advocacy, and um, Erica and Joni Wright, our public policy (laughs) advocates. All right.
2: Thank you, Mayor. You're my fave. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Thank you. I told Clayton that I gave Senator Alexander $5 to compliment us when he talked. Clearly, he you have given Mayor Blaine Bellamy some, some consideration <laughs> there.
2: More than $5. I think, that, I think that costs me a little bit more than $5, yeah, Scott. So. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Thank you for being here with us and sticking with us. If you are one of the few people that listen to From the Dome to Your Home podcast, you'll recognize all of these voices. You've heard them before. Um, the three, my three colleagues sitting next to me, Joni, Scott, and Erica, they represent your interests at the State House every day. Um, and sometimes on the weekends when we have to, at night, late at night, um, early in the morning. And at all hours, they are available through their cell phones. And believe me, they get called um, by Senators, House members, and other lobbyists 24 hours a day, seven days a week, eating, sleeping. Mm. Um, And today we're going to talk a little bit about um, our advocacy initiatives, but more in the sense of what issues are moving within our advocacy initiatives. If you want to see the full list of all 11, that were approved, they are in the app on your phone or on our website. Scott, what's that web address again?
0: www.masc.sc
2: We are going to start with an update on the state budget. We've had a lot of questions so far today um, about the state budget and where we are in the process of developing that. So Joni's going to start with a little update on the state budget. Thank you, Casey. Who doesn't like to talk about money? (laughs) Good morning, everyone. Again,
3: my name is Joni Nickel. Thank you all for sitting in with us while we kind of work your way through the legislative process and what's happening at your state house because it is your state house too. Um, So the budget really started last fall for the governor. um, And then the house takes their first stab. They start it before the Senate does. And right now we are in the middle of it with the House of Representatives. Now everything will go to the floor for the house The week of March 13th that is budget week Um, and if you are a city that wants a project or has something in mind and you have not had any conversations with anyone I am so sorry you are late for this year maybe next year because those decisions if you have not started a conversation those decisions have already basically been made up so right now we are looking at additional 3 billion dollars that's a B in um, money $754 million in recurring dollars, and the rest of that is non-recurring dollars. And last year we had roughly a $36.2 billion budget. Um, Now keep in mind that is federal and state dollars. And we have already testified before the Constitutional Subcommittee in terms of your local government fund. And I'm going to back up and give you a little education or some history with the local government fund for those of you who don't know what all took place before Act 84 of 2019. So prior to 2019, we would have to go to the State House. And I say we singular, but I was not here at the time. So the Municipal Association had to go before the House and the Senate and beg for local government funds. And anytime there was a, a natural disaster or hurricane or anything that took extra money for the state, the local government fund was the last thing that they wanted to fund. But in 2019, Act 84 passed and what that says is if the general fund increases or decreases by 5%, so does the local government fund. Well, in 2020, a little thing called COVID happened and we were in a a pandemic. And so what the, um, the General Assembly did is they operated under a continuing resolution. And the local government fund did not increase or decrease because they were under that continuing resolution. Which,
2: Joni, a continuing resolution, so that means they didn't adopt a budget, right? They they did not adopt a budget. They just
3: continued on from last year's budget. And so what that meant was anything that was in recurring dollars, if you had a proviso with recurring dollars, it was renewed. But anything with non-recurring dollars, because they did not adopt a new budget, got cut off. So the local government fund is something that has to be renewed every year. So in 2021, what the House did is they went back and gave us the 3%. It was a 3% growth for the general fund. So we got the 3%. And they went back for 2020 and gave us 2% that we needed for the previous year. So what does that, that was great. But what that told us is they were taking Act 84 very serious. And so this year we have asked again for them to, mean it's always so Just nice. Follow the law. Follow the law. Follow the law that you That's passed. All you have to do um so basically that's what i I go up
2: there and do Scott, you're about to say something well
0: act 84 was a good result not only for you all but also for the general assembly because they were growing tired of fighting with you and us year after year over fully funding the local government fund so so far well and of course so far act 84 has gone well and they funded it according to what the law says but of course uh, Pre-Act 84, the law said that they were supposed to fund the local government fund at a particular rate. But I think because they, the way they changed the, the, the process and how they arrive at those monies, in Act 84, the local government funds are taken out of the budget as a part of the first bite of all of the other recurring expenses right. so that there is no fight, there's nothing that they have to... to, to uh, measure against or balance and instead of the way they used to do it so it's a much more clean process for them and it's much more rote so which made it easy easy for you Johnny? what yeah. two weeks ago what did you what did you get up and say
3: ditto the counties went before right. us and I said what he said no it um, was, that easy. Yeah, it was that easy yeah it was that easy it was <laughs> that easy but you. I said thank you because we we do want them to be to know that we're appreciative of them, number one, listening to us, listening to you all, and passing Act 84. Um, so right now, we're anticipating that we are going to get whatever the general fund goes up. So if that's 4%, 5%, that is what the local government fund will go up. But the BEA is said to release their new estimates February 15th. And so that money may go up. Not the percentage, but you, all, everyone knows 5% on 100000 is less than 5% on 200000 so we're anticipating that those estimates will go up February 15th, but the Senate will always get that stab at that new money versus the House because, like I said, the House has already looked at the money. March 13th will be budget week for them.
0: Yeah, the Board of Economic Advisors will release their February estimate, and then they issue one in May. Yep. Uh, so the, the Senate always gets the benefit of that higher estimate. Uh, so they get to allocate even more money than what the House did. So the Senate gets to look like the big heroes to a lot of people right. when, in fact, the House didn't have the opportunity to uh, to spend that money. And believe me, they will spend it. I can promise you that. Oh,
3: they've already spent it, They're, probably. They've already spent it. And if you ever listen to Frank Rainwater, when he talks about these estimates, he'll tell you, we don't know where this money, this influx of money is coming from. How are South Carolinians spending this
2: money? They are? And we're getting it, so we'll take it. Um, and you if you want to talk about um, retirement yes. and health insurance, health, you want to talk about that now? I'll talk about health insurance because I know you okay. all. Anyone who is
3: on the Piva plan received that infamous the state, health plan. The state, health, state plan health plan received that infamous letter last year that said your rates were going to go up by eighteen point one percent. That was your premium health increases, and I know. 90% of you threw it away and said this was a typo. 18.1%. <laughs> what is happening?
0: Till you got the bill.
3: Till you got the bill. Right. So that was not a typo, as you all are very well aware now. But what happened on, through Piba's explanation is for four years previously, they did not have an increase. And if they did, it was a 0.8% increase. So and then the pandemic happened. And because of the pandemic, there were more hospitalizations, there were more doctor's visits, the cost of PPE went up, everything increased. And when that increases, you have to pass that along to, to everyone that is in the plan. And the reason that you all are allowed to be in the state health plan is because the state could not afford just to have state employees in it, and that is why they opened it up. And when that happens is when there's an increase, you also share in that increase. So this year, I'm happy to say that that increase is not 18.1%. We're looking at roughly a 3% increase or a 3.7% increase. And the reason there's a discrepancy in the difference there is because the governor, when he released his executive budget, has called for an annual gynecological visit for women. Because right now, women have to choose, do I go to my general practitioner or do I go to my gynecologist every year? And the governor said he has taken health care very seriously, especially for women this year. And so he has asked that we include that in the state health plan. Well, PIBA usually goes with the recommendation of the governor. And just like we saw with 18.1%, the Senate and the House goes with the recommendation of PIBA because it's really not a suggestion. This number is not a made-up number. This is a number that they need to fully fund the plan. So if they go with the governor's recommendation, it will be 3.7%. And let me just translate, translate that to you in dollars. You're going to look at roughly a 20 to $25 per person increase in your health premium plan. Is everyone good? Everybody called up? Mm. Cornelius, you don't like that? It's better than
2: 18.1%. Um, now that we're, if we're still going to talk about money. Oh, the retirement! I got to talk about retirement. Okay, we'll talk about retirement. Then Erica's gonna talk about American Rescue Plan.
3: Well, good news on the retirement. Everyone's very aware that you pay that one percent increase for for your retirees. This is the last year. I know. I always say this is the last year according to PIBA until they come back and tell us it's not the last year. But PIBA said. This is the last year. so Can when we really believe you this time? I, I think so. Okay. I, I'm very convincing right oh, now. I'll go the, with it. This <laughs> is the
0: end of what, six years?
3: Six years. But remember, six years, seven stop, years, seven? we had to take a break. They took right. a break because yeah. of COVID. Yeah. Um, so it was only supposed to take, this is seven years. It was only supposed right. to take five, but they took one or two years off yeah. because of COVID. But we've finally reached where we need to be to fully fund the retirement plan. And this will be your last year with that 1% increase. Now, keep in mind, it's really a 2% increase, but the state eats 1% <laughs> right, for everyone. Right, yeah.
4: All right, Erica, A-R-P, go. I'm going. Go. Right, Tess, am I going? I'm going. Okay. <laughs> it a little higher there? there we go. There you go. All right, I feel like last year when we were here, we talked about the state's American Rescue Plan dollars, right? That was the nearly $800 million that the General Assembly allocated to the Rural Infrastructure Authority to stand up the skip. South Carolina Investing in Infrastructure Program. Just by show of hands, how many of you applied for a water or sewer project through the Rural Infrastructure Authority? That's That's good, we have news for you. So, uh, the governor, Joni talked about the governor's budget. There was uh, 582 million that was remaining from the state's ARP allocation. The governor requested that just over 300 million go to the Rural Infrastructure Authority, here's why. For all of you who raised your hands, there was not enough money to fund the projects that the Rural Infrastructure Authority received. And so now there's still a slew. I think Bonnie shared, and Bonnie is the executive director of the Rural Infrastructure Authority, even if they allocated every dollar that they received from the General Assembly, they would only be able to address 40% of the applications received. So, yeah, so the uh, House introduced, the Speaker actually introduced a joint resolution. That's House Bill uh, 3602, if you want to look that up. And what that does, they actually saw what the governor suggested and raised that. And what this does is it takes the remainder, that whole 582 million of the state's ARP dollars and gives it over to the Rural Infrastructure Authority so that they can pick up more of those applications that they were not able to fund. This is good news for you. That has passed the House, and it is currently in Senate Finance where we're hoping we see some kind of movement on that. We're tracking that. Couple of things to note, though. Even though the Rural Infrastructure Authority is poised to get more money to pick up more applications, they will not reopen that application uh, period. Applications are still closed. This infusion of cash is meant to pick up those applications that they're unable to fund. So we're watching that, we're communicating with our uh, senators that we need to get this moving. Um, it took us a long time to get ARP moving last year. So here's how you can help. If you put in an application for the SKIP program, we're now in Senate Finance. Talk to your senator, especially if they're uh, on Senate Finance, let them know the project that you're requesting funding for so we can get that money to you. Um, we'd like to see that money allocated this quarter so you can get your projects moving. So that's an ARP update.
0: Even with that additional infusion, though, Erica, it's they only... They
4: still cannot address all the applications received.
0: So it's, they're going to fund, what What Bonnie say, about
4: 70%?
0: About 70%. 70% of the applications that they've received, they'll be able to fund with this additional infusion. But...
4: But
3: Erica, not no additional applications, right. correct? No. Right.
4: The applications are closed. They're not accepting any more applications. So talk that's your homework. Talk to your senator, especially if they're on Senate finance. Fill them in on the project that you're requesting funding for. Um, those no application has been awarded yet. They're still trying to pick up more with the ARP dollars.
2: And you can find the information for your legislators on the State House website, Scott, that addresses?
0: The State House website? Yeah. Why don't you just go to www.masc.sc? Look in the municipal directory, and then you'll be able to find out who your senator or house member is. Or what a there. great
2: idea! Go there. You could go there. Yeah. The new and improved, updated yeah, website. Fabulous! If anybody new has already As looked at Sunday. it, it is amazing. I'm
0: very proud of our communications um, folks.
2: While we are talking about money, I guess we can kind of stick stay on money. Scott, let's talk a little bit about Senate Bill 284. Yes. Would you like to discuss that? I hope I didn't sure. just spring that on you. When no, you at no. Like.
0: <laughs> Senate Bill 284. This, this is a bill that <laughs> uh, Senator Tom Davis from Bluffton pre-filed in December that will expand uh, the allowable uses for the spending of state accommodations taxes local accommodations taxes, and hospitality taxes to include the development of workforce housing, okay? So, it's very, and that's all it says. So within the state A tax, the local A tax, and the hospitality tax statutes is a list of those things that your city or town can spend those monies on. Uh, and this bill would just simply seek to add one more thing And it says, quote, the development of workforce housing, whatever that means to your city or town, and however you could help. Foster the development of that workforce housing.
3: Okay. Scott, did you did you quote that because you I didn't write, you
4: write that? Right, I raised mm-hmm. my hand. Pick okay, we're, sorry, Erica. <laughs> so we this, this is how we buy. Okay, this is how we vibe. I was trying. He wouldn't right. stop. We gotta raise your hand. So, this so Scott is being very modest. Okay. Scott is being modest. What way. really happened was everything he said was true, but the senator Tom Davis, who we worked very well with, actually sent us an email and asked that the municipal association craft that language and so
0: yeah so we did but but he he did that he did that at the request of the low country cities and towns Bluffton, hilton head hardyville uh ridgeland don't don't let me leave y'all out if i didn't name you who 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 else talked to senator davis about that uh they are the ones who went to him Mm -hmm. with this idea and said hey we you know (laughs) we need another way to try and address the affordable housing issues that we have the workforce housing issues that we have in our communities, and so we, you know, we very simply made, uh, based on based on their request, uh, made that very simple suggestion to Senator Davis, and he uh, he he introduced that bill. It's Senate Bill 284. I would encourage all of you, and it would be applicable statewide. Uh, if you if you levy any of these taxes, if you collect any of these taxes, then you could use uh, some portion of it. Does not increase the amount of the tax that you can charge uh, at, for the local. Accommodations or hospitality tax. It doesn't change the amount of the state accommodations tax that has to go to your designated marketing organizations. Although it has been suggested in conversations uh, in the lobby and in the state house that perhaps uh, some adjustment to the amount that goes to the DMOs could be helpful uh, in our quest to uh, to develop affordable housing. So reach out to your senator, particularly if he or she is on the Senate Finance Committee and ask them to ask for a subcommittee hearing on that bill as soon as possible so that we can get it moving. But uh, if we can get that going, that would be another option for you in your struggle to try and uh, attract and develop affordable and workforce housing.
2: Isn't there a similar house bill? That was introduced i want to say last week i can't come up with the number on it maybe. right now maybe
4: i think so i haven't Th- there read the was. introductions
0: in the last couple weeks so uh, oh, well, oh, there, was. There, there was, was. That I, I don't
4: numbers? have that number
0: 284 is probably yeah, gonna have the that's, the that we, yeah moving, that's the
2: one that we that's the one that scott yeah. wrote yeah he says we but scott wrote we're it. pushing that one um yeah. erica let's stay on money for a second and okay. will you touch on less than
4: audits for our smaller cities. Yes, this is Senate Bill 31. This was uh, pre-filed by Senator Brad Hutto, uh, who we worked with last year on this. So right now, all of you here are required by law to submit an annual gap audit, a full-blown gap audit. What Senate Bill 31 is proposing is that municipalities with total recurring revenues less than 500000 given the option to submit a compilation of financial statements instead here's why the penalty for not submitting your audit to the state treasurer is a withholding of your local government funds there is this applies to many small cities and towns but there is one town to do a full-blown gap audit costs roughly five thousand dollars Their current estimate for their local government fund allocation is just over $3,000. So for them to do this annual audit that's required by law, they will be doing it at a deficit each year. And so uh, Scott and Jeff Shacker on our team laid a lot of the legwork a few years ago in working with the state auditor, George Kennedy, who is in support of this bill, um, who said, this is what I will accept. We will accept this from smaller cities and towns met with the treasurer who is also in support. And this bill is currently in Senate Finance, uh, but spoke to, well, Senate Finance Constitutional Subcommittee, Mm -hmm. spoke to all of those members there, including the chairman who said, and I quote, I am in support of this bill and look forward to its passage. And so... Kind of inside baseball. When the chairman of the subcommittee says that, oh, a we stop talking and we I let the bill go off. ahead. And because uh, you can talk you yourself your out of the of a question. win, and we don't want to do really that. Out. So at this okay. point, we're just going to let it go in uh, subcommittee. In.
0: Joni has her hand
4: yes. raised. I, my hand raised. Casey thought I was I thought she was and a high
0: five.
2: I was like, yeah, for us. I, I thought y'all were proud of me. I thought Moving thought we yeah. We, always, we were we I mean, hello, we all wore the same color today. Absolutely. So, Erica. bit of a little
3: bit of a little bit of a little a girls' club. We a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of over little bit of a over, a a and it was deleted this year or asked to be deleted at the behest of the state treasurer because what this proviso did for the last two years is if you were not successful in submitting that gap audit that erica just mentioned they still gave you your local government fund and the reason that proviso was put in place was because they wanted to find a way to help local municipalities through covid they have now asked that that be deleted so it is now very important that this compilation report Yep. legislation Senate 31 get passed yep. 31 but high five Erica So they're going yeah, to go back exactly. to they'll go, they'll go back job. to
0: withholding your local government funds Correct. and not releasing them because of that deletion <laughs> of the proviso so get ready
2: Scott I'm going to go back to you Okay and let's talk a little bit about short-term rentals Ooh
0: what uh, do you want to know about I use them I like them
2: <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I that's not they're I wonderful. wasn't looking for like a recommendation oh, or anything sorry. I'm <laughs> Okay. Short I want to else, talk about the bill that's been introduced that's gonna yeah, It's gonna take our power yeah. away. The ban on the ban. The ban, the on, ban
0: on the ban on the ban. Short term. So House Bill 3253, 3253, is a retread bill. Uh, it was introduced last year, it was in it was in, in the session last year. Uh, Representative Lee Hewitt from Georgetown. Um, Georgetown, Georgetown has reintroduced this bill. And what this bill does is prohibit you from banning short-term rentals from being located within your jurisdiction. So I'm not aware of any of you who have proposed to outright ban short-term rentals from your city or town, uh, but this would prohibit you from doing that if you wanted to.
3: And the consequences of doing that, uh, going against that, is they will withhold your local yeah, government fund.
0: withhold your local government fund and...
3: So it has teeth.
0: Take, uh, uh, take away your uh, property tax revenues for, from 6% properties. Um, some folks have interpreted that to mean that you also may not, by way of your zoning ordinances, zone them into only particular parts of your city or town. So if you have a zoning ordinance or a short-term rental ordinance in place now that says they can only be located in certain parts of the town, there are some people across the state who think uh, Representative Hewitt's bill also prohibits you from doing that. Well, that's a real problem, of course, because of the number of you who already have short-term rental ordinances or you address them in some way in your zoning ordinance or you are planning to do so in the future as short-term rentals um, proliferate through your jurisdiction. The defense of your local authority to regulate short-term rentals is our number one priority for you in the General Assembly right now because this represents a significant threat to uh, home rule uh, your local authority to meet the demands and the requests of your residents who want or, uh, uh, some type of short-term regulation, whether it be a little bit or a lot or none at all Um, so you need to have retain that authority not have it dictated to you by the General Assembly I was having a conversation outside uh, with some coastal mayors who said look there's just I mean everything short-term rentals is our our community's business okay that's 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 what we do uh, we aren't interested necessarily in any heavy-handed, well, I, I, not heavy-handed, but any sort of regulations on short-term rentals. There are other communities in the state, however, who are having some significant issues uh, that aren't uh, tourism-related areas necessarily, and so they're struggling. So they should have the authority to make those decisions at the local level in concert with those residents, with their residents. So uh, we will strongly oppose... Uh, Representative uh, Hewitt's bill, as it's written, we've had some conversations with him. He has begun to soften and understand and hear our position and your position a bit more than he has previously. He's and seen
2: the light a little he, bit. He like, has. Yep. I think.
0: I think some of y'all probably had some prayer meetings with him over this, and so he has. He's begun to uh, to see that his position is probably not advantageous for you or for him. And so uh, he is also bringing some of the, uh, the uh, online travel companies to the table uh, mm-hmm. for some reporting requirements. And, of course, if you're not aware, uh, Airbnb, VRBO, some of these others, if they're paying the state accommodations tax on behalf of their short-term rental owners, then they now have to report to the South Carolina Department of Revenue the locations of all of those Properties, And so you can then request that information from DOR so that you can then also make sure that those short-term rental operators, those owners, are paying a business license tax and paying the local accommodations tax that they owe to you. So uh, we're making progress on this issue, but just make no mistake, we will defend your authority to regulate them as little or as much as you see fit as, uh, as we move forward in this session and next year since this is only the first year of a two-year session so
3: Scott can I go on a unicorn hunt how many people in here know how many short-term rentals to the T are in your community because if you do you're a unicorn
0: yeah, you are a unicorn. You are
3: a unicorn. Um, Tell us
0: how you figure that out because we won't share that with everybody. You every- are our we next want to share session. that with everybody right.
3: else. Yeah, because you're that's a unicorn. That's right. and, and I just want to piggyback off everything that Scott said. Um, we do want to maintain your authority, but also we want to help the rest of you who are not unicorns become unicorns. We want you to be able to find where all these short-term rentals are because that is a problem because not all these age- or not all these short-term rentals go through VBRO or that's Airbnb. And,
0: and if, you know, if we if we get to work on a bill with uh, Representative Hewitt to the benefit of us all, then that will be a key component in that uh, in that deal going forward is a report a, a robust reporting requirement uh, not only to the DOR but to every jurisdiction in the state. So yeah. we'll, we'll work on that.
2: Um, Erica, let's talk, and we've got about. Fifteen minutes left in the right. session. I want to get everything in. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about squat trucks. Yes. Or squatties. Squatties. Squatties.
4: Um, the Carolina squat. The Carolina yes. squat. That's right. Um, okay. Well, so people laugh. that's Senate <laughs> Bill 363, and I want to give a big shout out to the City of Myrtle Beach, who brought this to our attention last session, got it moving. You kind of heard some back and forth about what happened up here earlier, but does everyone know what a squat truck is? What we're Say, okay, I got you. No worries. There, there's Fox. Shout out. Thank My you. man, Fox. Is that with me in microphone? Knock, knock your mic off. So what a squat <laughs> truck is, <laughs> um, and you've seen them before, even if you're not familiar with Scott,
1: help me out here. Even if you're not familiar <laughs> with back. what
4: it is. There we go. Oh, a little hard. There you Okay. Go. You've seen them. A squat truck, think of a big truck, is where the front fender is raised four or more inches above the rear fender, right? Here's the problem of those in your communities. You've seen them particularly a lot in Myrtle Beach, but if you are a passenger or a driver in that cab of a squat truck, you cannot see anything that is down below you, be that a person, be that another vehicle. And so we are working to ban squat trucks in the state of South Carolina to protect our residents, right? Protect cities and towns. She gets applause. She gets so, applause. Thank you, Fox. Thank you, Mayor Bethune, who brought this to our attention. Thank you. Here's the issue, though. So it passed out of the House last year. It, was on its, it actually passed the Senate. But a few House members, it became what we call a Christmas tree bill. That is where you have a bill, and in order for um, legislators to get their bills passed, they throw stuff on it. And it just became something that couldn't pass, unfortunately. So it died in conference committee.
0: The squat truck bill got run over by a catalytic converter Correct. and a UTV. That's yes. what happened to yes. it. That's
4: exactly what happened. So to Claire take that further, the lobby, the law enforcement lobby that was working on this with us, then had to kill that that uh, catalytic converter language, and so it took down squat trucks with it. So unfortunately, that's what happens when we, you know, we're dealing with legislation, but. Um, thankfully the senate transportation committee brought back this legislation to committee they didn't even take it back to subcommittee passed it out again shout out to the city of myrtle beach their police department police chief came up to testify in support and north myrtle beach and too. north myrtle yeah. beach thank both of the you the chiefs were there both yes. women and we got it onto the senate calendar um, and we're waiting for to get it passed. But that Senate Bill 363, I don't foresee an issue with it in either chamber chamber. as long as we can keep it clean.
0: And keep in mind that uh, you heard uh, Representative Hyatt talk about it this morning. I don't know if uh, Senator Alexander mentioned what's on the Senate's calendar, but the Senate and the House are both having to work through uh, their social, uh, their their, uh, culture war issues before they get to business like Squat trucks and other legislation that will be important uh, to the business that you conduct day in and day out. So they're being
2: extremely diplomatic, and I appreciate that I am, coming I am. from you right now.
0: I'm, listen, I heard I heard Dr. McCoy this morning, so I,
1: <laughs> I'm trying
0: to be trying to be civil here. So they've got it. They got to get. They got to work through all those very controversial social issues before they get down to uh, business that is of. A concern to the operations of your cities and towns. So be patient. Uh, We'll get to it, but we they just keep in mind they got to get through that
2: stuff first. Erica, go with fentanyl. Okay. Let's talk a little. Talk about
4: fentanyl legislation. Davy, not do fentanyl, but like talk about fentanyl. Yeah, Yeah, I will. Um, And again, shout out to Mayor Foster Sin who brought this to our attention. It's about protecting your cities and towns, right? And believe it or not, South Carolina does not have a law on the books for the trafficking of fentanyl. The only thing that exists pertaining to fentanyl is a possession charge, just simple possession. And so there is a bill that we tracked in the House. that actually just passed the House 3503, and that creates an offense for the trafficking of fentanyl. Um, it got hemmed up just a little bit on the floor, and right now, typically what you see when we talk about legislation, there may be back and forth between parties, Republicans or Democrats. Or trial lawyers. Or, tri- or trial lawyers. Defense attorney, and prosecutors. <laughs> but here, and that's what I wanted to elevate, what you're going to see happen with this bill now, um, you're, gonna, you're likely going to see conversations between prosecutors and defense attorneys in the legislature over the sentencing. Um, this bill went through a lot of amendments in subcommittee and in full, um, and it was amended on the floor to bring back mandatory minimum sentences. Um, there are, it's now in the Senate, there are senators who have said they would never support legislation that hamstrings a judge's ability to um, offer discretion in his or her court. So. We're seeing fentanyl move, whether or not it comes out with mandatory minimums. And we had conversations with our our law enforcement partners who are okay, just so that we can have a law on the books if they have to remove that mandatory minimum sentences. They'll have strong sentencing in there, but just not that 20-year mandatory minimum for a second offense of fentanyl. Um, So that's in the House. It's very similar. Well, it's actually in the Senate. That House Bill 3503 is pretty much verbatim to Senate Bill 153, so I won't go into that. But something else that we're kind of monitoring is a bill that was introduced by uh, President Tommy Alexander, who was up here a little while ago, and that is homicide by fentanyl. So So the testimony, which we did testify in support of fentanyl legislation, but the testimony For the most part, 90% of those who testified testified on behalf of someone who took what they thought was a Percocet or what they thought was Xanax or what they thought was something else and it was laced with fentanyl causing them to lose their lives. Mm -hmm. And so what Senate Bill 1 does is if that happens, that person who is given the fentanyl can be charged with homicide. Um, That is on, I can't remember if that's on the floor or if that's still in full committee. I think that's a full committee. committee. That's a full committee. So right now what we are on our uh, agenda to get done is a penalty for the trafficking of fentanyl to keep our cities and towns safe, and that's moving. Um, Not sure what the sentencing requirements will be. We'll let them handle that. We just want to keep our cities and towns safe.
0: I think the, the message that you need to convey to your House members and your senators in particular now is that hey the mandatory minimums aren't as important to us I don't think uh, as getting the offense on the books so that your police officers and your uh, other uh, NGOs and, and, and uh, organizations can help get this situation under control. So uh, we'll work we can work on mandatory minimums later on if if that's necessary. But let's get some let's get an offense a chargeable offense on the books as soon as we can.
2: Right? Right. Okay. Um, Scott, it's time to land this plane. And I'm going to let you bring us down with mm-hmm. hate crimes and donut holes.
0: So Crispy I'll try... Krispy Kreme or Dunkin? Krispy
2: Kreme.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to... I'm not going to have... You're not going to have to shoot me down like we did the balloon over the weekend. Right,
3: no. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Myrtle Beach. Wasn't that Myrtle Beach? Hey, did
0: Myrtle... Fox, did you bring t-shirts? Because I asked my daughter. She was there over the weekend. I need a t- We need a t-shirt. Uh, Hate crimes legislation. Uh, the municipal association—that's one of our advocacy initiatives. Uh, we support hate crimes legislation uh, enacted statewide. Uh, there have been some bills uh, introduced in the House. In particular, they have not gotten a subcommittee hearing yet. Encourage your House members to ask that the uh, that hate crimes legislation get a subcommittee hearing scheduled as soon as possible. This is an economic development issue for many of you, in addition to the uh, to the to the moral imperative that it represents. Uh, so uh, please ask them to uh, to get this thing moving as soon as possible. And if we can get it back over, to the, the House of Representatives passed hate crimes legislation in twenty twenty one, and it got stuck in the Senate uh, thanks to a couple of senators that uh, were not on board. So we're hopeful that uh, we can get it uh, get it across well, the finish line this year.
3: We're one of two states that does not That's have right. any hate crime legislation, and we are in there with Wyoming. And this is we do not want to be yep. with Wyoming.
0: Yeah. <laughs> donut holes, enclaves. How many of you have a an enclave or a donut hole within your municipal limits? Raise your hand.
2: Right, everybody. Yeah. All right. Now, this should be easy to pass. Then you
0: would think this would be easy to pass, except for the fact that who I can't. I got to attribute whoever said this. I can't remember who it was. Who was it? Somebody told me Charlie? that a resident, Charlie Fairno, told Charlie. me that somebody told him that what is in those enclaves, that's in those donut holes in your city is freedom. (laughs) Okay, so that's your challenge. Go to your house members, ask them to ask for a subcommittee hearing on Senate Bill 3236. House bill. House House bill. bill. House House bill. bill. House bill 3236-3236. This is a bill that was introduced by Representative Joe Bustos, former council member from Mount Pleasant, Uh, former TKK Mayor David O'Neill as a co-sponsor. We have had conversations with Representative Bustos, who is the chairman of the subcommittee that this bill will be heard in first. He needs to hear from you And his chairman, uh, Chair Lady, Representative Celeste Davis from Monks Corner needs to hear from you that you want this bill to get a subcommittee hearing as soon as possible. House Bill 3236 so that we can get this bill moving and hopefully help you address the enclaves that you heard Majority Leader Davey Hyatt out that? say that he supports, fill out.
2: supports this morning. He lives in one.
0: He lives in a donut hole He was now, jealous
2: because his tra- the city doesn't pick up his trash. Now, what I, want,
0: what I wanted to tell him was he could solve that problem very easily by, by going to the Pickens city, city Council and a- petitioning to annex, but we'll, we'll deal with that later. But this is an important bill. This is on our advocacy initiatives just about every year. As many of you raise your hand, you need to besiege the 3M committee. Yes. Yes in the house crash request, the website let's do yeah, it for a subcommittee hearing and that's all I got to say about that mayor very good very good can we give our advocacy team a round of applause we're, we're certainly well represented over at, at the uh, state house and um, we, we hear great things so thank you for all, all you do and, and all we're doing also want to commend uh, Mayor Barbara Blaine Bellamy for her and the committee's work on, on coming up with our legislative initiatives We appreciate that.